sometimes in our practice, we get a glimpse of the magnitude of the journey that we are on. And we get a glimpse of it in just looking at noticing what is going on in our mind. And we begin to see the uh, power of the forces that we are looking at that seem to control and impel our life in the direction that it's going. And we see how difficult it is to wake up, to slow down the process, to turn the process or move the momentum of our life in the direction of choice of awareness. And we hear stories from different spiritual traditions, and this one included, of the vast expanse of time and space and planes of existence in which we, among the many innumerable beings, are just wandering on and on, looking for some happiness. And sometimes when we get a glimpse of just how vast this journey is, we can get pretty despairing about what we're doing. But then at other times we get some really clear glimpses into just how we have constructed and conditioned and made our life miserable or happy or however it is and our part in it. And we might wonder in awe at the mind that could look at this stuff going on inside of our mind and body and figure it out, so to speak. Figure out what's it all about. Where does it come from? Where is it going? And how do we get there? There's one teaching of the Buddhas which encompasses both the vast expanse of time, space, and planes of existence that we hear about, and also includes an understanding of the minutiae of momentary experiences that we discover in practice. And that is this teaching on dependent origination and how our experience from moment to moment conditions this macrocosmic happening through vast expanses of time and space. The teaching on dependent origination is a very detailed look at what is, in essence, the law of karma. 
So it's kind of the graduate level course of uh, Buddhism. So we hand out this study aid so that (laughs) you can, you know, have something to take home. (laughs) Since you're leaving everything else here, you might as well take this home. (laughs) Just to help you kind of uh, temporarily hold it all together. (laughs) And then at the end of the talk, let it go. But it, I want to just kind of give an overview and give a rough outline of what this teaching of the Buddha is because it helps us to answer that ever-present question. Hey, if there's no self, then who's born and who dies? Or who's reborn? And that's a question that inevitably comes up on longer retreats in someone, in usually everyone's mind. You hear all the teachings on non-selflessness, and it certainly feels like one here. And if there isn't one, then who is it that was born and will die and possibly be reborn somewhere else? So I'll do my best. We have a general idea from whatever understanding of the law of karma we have heard and understand that actions produce results. Actions in the past produce results, experiences in the present moment condition those experiences that we have in the present moment. How we respond to the conditions in the present moment will have an effect on the future. What appears and what comes into existence in the future. That's one general understanding. Because of this past conditioning present, present conditioning future, that future becoming a present which conditions another future, we can see how the cycle of existences just goes on and on and on and on. And we wander around this vast cosmos looking for some ultimate satisfying happiness or peace. And we just keep wandering around. This is samsara. This is what's called samsara, the wheel of life or the wheel of birth and death or cyclic existence as Lama Tenzing spoke about. One of my favorite lyricists has put it this way. The wheel is turning and you can't slow it down. You can't let go and you can't hold on. You can't go back and you can't stand still. If the thunder don't get you, then the lightning will. (laughs) 
The small wheel turns by the fire and the rod. The big wheel turns by the grace of God. Every time that wheel turns round, bound to cover just a little more ground. And we get a sense of, that's true. So tonight I want to speak about this essential teaching of the Buddha. And we have spoken of most parts of it throughout the Dharma talks during this retreat. So it's just an attempt to kind of synthesize much of what we've heard. As you listen, there are four aspects of this teaching to keep in mind. And the first is that throughout this cycle of existences, there is an individual stream of continuity that each one of us is heir to. It's not like, you know, this piece of the cycle is going to end up being your piece of the cycle next time around. It doesn't work that way. This piece of the cycle has its own future, has its own individual past. And so too for all of the other 30 or 40 cycles of existence sitting in the room. Each link in this 12 links that purports to show how we just go round and round, each link is related by cause and effect. The first link is the cause for producing the second. The second link is the cause for producing the third. The third is the cause for producing the fourth. So there is the cause-effect, the law of cause and effect operating continually. And this process happens automatically. We don't have to make it happen. God doesn't make it happen. You know, the Buddha doesn't make it happen. It happens due to, this is the law of nature, like the law of gravity. If you throw a ball in the air, the law of gravity says it's going to come down. You don't make it come down. God doesn't make it come down. The dog doesn't make it come down. The law of nature conditions it. So too with this linkage of cause and effect, natural law. And each of these links is necessary for the subsequent, and it's also the sufficient cause for the subsequent link. You remember the Buddha's, the story of the Prince Siddhartha, the Bodhisattva, raised in the luxury of the royal palace, wondered what life was all about and took a trip outside of the palace grounds and he saw old age, sickness, and death. And he saw them deeply. He saw not just that they existed out there, but they exist in here, in this very mind-body that he had, that we all have, is the experience of old age, sickness, and death, which is surely to be considered a suffering. And his quest for freedom, for liberation, for understanding, for 
deepest search for the truth was to how to understand and be free of this suffering. How to be completely free of old age, sickness, and death. So he looked at, in his clearest moment underneath the Bodhi tree, he looked at this condition of old age, sickness, and death and said, what is the cause of old age, sickness, and death? And he said, well, being born. Okay? What's the cause of being born? The cause of being born is having taken actions in the past that produce the effect of being born. Okay? What caused or what conditioned those actions leading to a subsequent, subsequent birth? And he looked and he said, well, grasping onto the idea of that birth. If you grasp onto the idea of that birth, then you'll take actions in pursuit of it, and sure enough, it'll happen. Okay, what conditions or what caused that grasping? And he found that it was craving, craving for that future existence. Well, what caused the craving? Well, having a pleasant feeling. Well, what caused that pleasant feeling? Well, having senses come in contact with sense objects, giving rise to a pleasant feeling. Well, what caused these senses, this, this consciousness? Again, it was uh, being born. Now, this is beginning to look awful circular. <laughs> sure enough, it is. What caused that being born? Well, actions taken in the past. Why did we take those actions? Because we didn't see the truth ignorance. So the Buddha got back to, because we don't see the truth, because we don't see things as they truly are, because we are ignorant, this is the source of this whole cyclic existence. And of course, someone in the Buddha's day said, oh yeah? Well, what was the cause of this ignorance? know, if you're going to keep going back looking for causes, what's the cause of the ignorance? And the Buddha, with his omniscient vision into the infinite past, said, inconceivable is the beginning of this wandering on in birth and death. Not to be discovered is a first beginning of beings who, obstructed by ignorance and ensnared by craving, are hurrying and hastening through this round of rebirth not to be discovered, is the source of ignorance. So, if ignorance or delusion is the root of this endless cycle of suffering, what is it that we are deluded about or ignorant of? When the Buddha was asked, he said, we're ignorant of the Four Noble Truths. We've heard a whole discussion on the Four Noble Truths, but I'll just remind you. The First Noble Truth is the truth of Dukkha, the truth of the unsatisfactory nature of experience or the 
vulnerability that we feel, the insecurity, the instability in life which, in any life, which inevitably produces insecurity, fear, anxiety, sometimes pain, the mental conditions of frustration, disappointment, despair, loneliness, angst, we all experience, not because there's something wrong with us, but because that's the way it is. Generally, we move through our life in denial of dukkha, trying to escape that truth, avoid pain, deny insecurity, fix our lives so that we don't have to uh, see that truth. We don't have to acknowledge it. But those of us who practice insight, practice mindfulness, we are brought face to face with this truth. There's no, I don't think there's anybody in this room would say uh, the, 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 the first noble truth is wrong. You know, there is no dukkha. <laughs> It sounds ludicrous to those who actually sit and pay attention to their own life. I mean, it's not debatable. It's the truth. And we see it very clearly. The second noble... We as yogis are beginning to discover this ignorance, this, this illusion and delusion that we live with. The second noble truth is that the origin of dukkha is craving. Again, in our pre-practice lifestyle, our belief would be, if I can only get what I want, then I'll be happy. And even after a lot of practice, we still believe that. If I can get what I want, then I'll be happy. You know, I mean, if I could just find the right posture in my city, <laughs> then I'd be happy. What we discover through practice, through paying attention to, as we have been, is that the only way to actually be free of that dukkha, or that false belief, is to not crave anything, but to just be present with what's happening. And we've all had those moments when you just settle into the way things are right now. And it's so subtle, we often miss how free of suffering that moment really is. We're just just here, not wanting anything else, not trying to avoid what's happening, but just present. So we begin to discover for ourselves the truth, the second noble truth. Craving is the source of dukkha. Don't crave, don't dukkha. <laughs> what do we discover? The third noble truth. 
Now the third noble truth is that there is this cessation of dukkha. Now we may believe that the end of unhappiness, before practice, we may believe that the end of unhappiness comes with getting something. I don't know, the relationship that we've always wanted, the job we've always wanted, the something. And we believe that that's going to be the fulfilling, crowning something of our life, at least temporarily. What we come into contact with, the knowledge that we discover here is that getting anything is not the end of suffering. But the end of suffering, the cessation of dukkha comes when we can just be in this moment, moment after moment. And whenever we long for something else or we resist what's coming up in the moment, we're caught again, ensnared. And even though it seems so brief or so insignificant, those moments of just being mindful of the way things are gives us that taste of non-suffering or the cessation of dukkha or uh, that peace of mind that we're looking for, even though we may not recognize it and we may not believe it. We get a taste. And that's what keeps us coming back. Coming back to sit again with that same old stuff or coming back on another retreat. It's not because it's fun that <laughs> we come on retreat. It's not because it's pleasurable. And if we really like the food that much, we just go to a good restaurant. So there's something else that brings us back here to sit and look again and again and again. It's a taste of freedom. It's that very real experience that we can be free of suffering. We can really find a happiness, a peace that is beyond all conditions. Not dependent on the weather, the food, the relationship, the income, or anything else, but merely because we pay attention. The fourth noble truth that we discover, that we come to know through our practice, is that the way to this peace is through paying attention, being mindful, living carefully in regard to one another, tranquilizing the mind, overcoming the hindrances, and seeing the nature, the true nature of reality. Things change, uh, things are unable to provide, circumstances are unable to provide satisfaction. But in our relationship to that, we can find peace. We can live at ease. And we discover that. It's not, you don't have to believe me. Look at your own experience and you'll see. That's, that's how we come to this realization of peace in our heart. But because of ignorance, because of not seeing the Four Noble Truths in the past, 
before we started practice, whenever that was. Because we didn't see those truths, we acted in such a way as to secure our happiness. Whatever, doing what we thought, saying what we thought would get us what we wanted, what we thought would give us happiness. And that is the second link in this 12-link cycle. Not seeing the Four Noble Truths, illusion or ignorance, conditions, actions. And so we make, we speak, we act, we do, we, we strive, we, we try to get that which we think is going to make us happy. And the primary, the mainspring of those actions is our intention, our volition. The choices we make in our life We can make the choice to act from a very open, loving, generous, kind heart, or we can make the choice to act from a very closed, contracted, greedy, isolated, fearful heart. That's our choice. We can, we have that choice innumerable times during the day. And every action, every time we speak, every thought we think, and every time we act in the world, it is producing or it is a karmic act. There is an intention behind it, there's a volition behind it, springing from either a wholesome state of mind with awareness or an unwholesome state of mind without awareness. These are the two links in the past, ignorance and action, which have given rise to and produced the result of being here now, or at least having a body here now, coming into the present, the past conditioning the present. But there's an important link between the past in the present. A past existence or life in this present existence or life. And traditionally the link between the past and the present existences is called the rebirth or the relinking consciousness. And we can, s there is a traditional understanding that this rebirth consciousness or relink relinking consciousness is merely the continuation of what's been going on every day and every hour that we've been sitting here. But that the past existence was terminated and the present existence was started in another place. Now we can see this in our practice. We don't have to believe in past lives, future lives, or anything. We can see it in our practice how there is this endless, rapid succession of thoughts going on in the mind, just one after the other. 
And we can see sometimes how one thought conditions the next. And that thought conditions the next. And that, and, that, and, that, and on and on and on. And they may not have any apparent relationship to each other. You know, the pink elephant in the phone booth, you know, reminds us of calling home because the phone, and then we, home reminds us of something else, and, that, and on and on and on. And the pink elephant at the beginning of the thought, the train of thought, has nothing to do with where we end up. But yet every momentary connection, there is cause, effect, linkage. Well, it's said that at the time of death, this is theory, I don't know this from my own fact, but it's, in, it's, it's informative, it's instructive. It's said that at the time of death, this process, moment after moment, becomes extraordinarily clear. And what emerges in that stream of moments is either the memory of a past action, a past karmic action, or something that reminds us of a past karmic action, or a thought of a future, of, of some fantasy that we fantasize for ourselves. We can see this in our practice. We're just sitting there and the past continually pops up in front of us. Or something that we uh, did in the past, or something that we used in the past. It might be a meditation hall, it might be a car, it might be, you know, for Phil, it might be all the utensils in the kitchen, and <laughs> for some, you know, who knows. But something comes up and our, and our attention grabs onto it. And in that moment of grabbing onto it, it conditions the next moment. But that grabbing on is the last moment of this life. It conditions the first moment of the next life in another place. Wherever there is the conditions ripe for receiving that conditioning. We see these visions and fantasies going on all the time. And in each moment that we buy into one of these fantasies, visions, we create this new life for ourselves, a new existence for ourselves. It's just, as we've been talking about, it's like a thought appears in the mind, we grab onto it, we create this little bubble. We live inside this bubble, doing what we do, having the feelings we have, the body we have, doing the behaviors we have, until that bubble dies, until that bubble gets punctured, and whoever we were in that fantasy dies. But what comes right behind it is another bubble. Here we are living in another existence until that one gets punctured and it dies. So what we see in our practice moment to moment is no different than what has been going on endlessly since the infinite past and will go on endlessly into the infinite future unless we're mindful. Conventionally speaking, we say a person dies. But not really. It's just that that moment 
dies, comes to an end, but it conditions the next moment. And so we can't say really that a person died or the person was reborn. We can just say that one moment conditions the next, which conditions the next. The new being is neither the same as the past, nor is it different. One of the great challenges of any spiritual discipline and spiritual practice is you have to open to and learn how to accept paradox. Not the same and not different. But there is a connection. There's a cause-effect linkage there. One of the images that, or some of the images that they use to help us understand this in our own life is if you're standing in a place where echoes can be heard and you say something, the sound that comes back to you, same or different? Not the same and not totally different. There's a connection there. Or you take a, a candle and you light this candle and you let it burn all the way down to the last moment and then you light another candle off of it and you let that candle burn down all the way to the last moment and then you light another candle off that and you let that candle burn down. Is the flame in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth candle the same or different than the first? Well, not the same and not different. But there's a connection. There's a cause-effect linkage there. Well, the same thing is going on in this multiple cyclic existence that we experience. When we understand this, or when we get a glimpse of this in our own life, through seeing in our own practice, we begin to understand that there's not a continuity of being, a being, that goes from moment to moment, let alone existence to existence. But neither is there not a being. <laughs> In any existence, when there is the coming into being in a new existence, whether it's birth or spontaneous or even a moment, a bubble of existence, what is produced or what comes into existence? Links three, four, five, six, and seven. These are the present conditions that are the result of past causes. And these Conditions are, of course, consciousness, a body and mind comes into being. When you have a body, you have senses, the six senses, eyes, ears, nose, mouth, body, the mind. Those senses will come in contact with things to experience, giving rise to feelings of pleasantness or unpleasantness. And these are the links, these are the causes, these are the results in this present moment that are produced by ignorance and actions in the past. So it's pretty clear that when we are born, there is a stream of consciousness that is established or is ongoing. 
We may not notice this until we practice, but it's pretty clear that there is a stream of consciousness moving through our life. And along with that is the experiences of that consciousness. Happiness, sadness, grief, joy, delight, seeing, tasting, smelling, touching, feeling, thinking, planning. These are the uh, link number what four. All the psychophysical stuff that we experience in life come quite naturally. If we have a body that has eyes, ears, nose, touch, taste, we are going to experience the world through our senses. And the way we do that is visible things come in contact with the eye, giving rise to seeing consciousness. Sounds come in contact with the ear, giving rise to hearing consciousness. Sensations on the on the skin, something contacts the, the body, giving rise to these feelings of being touched. Thoughts come in contact with the mind, giving rise to thinking of one sort or another. This contact of object striking sense base, giving rise to consciousness, how does that happen? If we pay attention, we can see in the moment, in our own practice, how and we have to be attentive. If we're not attentive, we don't notice anything, or we notice very little. But when we're attentive, we can hear, we, we know this sound comes through the window, strikes us here, giving rise to hearing consciousness. And then immediately there is this proliferation of activity in the mind that knows that's a person down there with the horses talking about something this afternoon, I don't know what it was, and on and on and on, and suddenly we get this mental image, this visible image in our mind of what's going on. Because these, the, 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 the air vibrated a certain way, just coming here. Amazing. If you want to see you know, people talk about miracles, and some people can perform miracles, you know. That's, or so they say, special people, spiritual people. The real miracle is that sound, I mean, the, 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 the air moves a certain way because somebody down there goes, nya, 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 nya. and the air moves a certain way, and suddenly in our minds, and all of our minds, similarly, we have the same image. Now that's a miracle. You don't have to walk on water. You don't have to fly. <laughs> you just have to listen. You just have to open your eyes. Taste some food. That's a miracle. And when we come in contact, when our senses get stimulated, it gives rise to pleasant feelings, or unpleasant feelings, or neutral feelings. We know that. We've paid attention enough to know that life is one big continuum of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Long continuum, I might say. 
And it's not because we pick and choose and say, oh, I'm going to just experience pleasant things. It's due to conditions completely out of our control, what we experience, pleasant or unpleasant. Who can make that, uh, that person down there not, not, not talk? Not us. Who can make that food that Phil cooks not taste good? You, you put it on your tongue, it, it produces the taste. That's it. You don't make it happen, you can't make it stop. It's automatic. You see how just conditions come together, they cause a certain effect. That effect or those conditions come together, it causes another effect. We can step right out of the process and it'll still happen. In fact, that's pretty good practice. Step out of the process, watch it all happen. Settle back, open up, let it flow. But because of this pleasant feeling, we want more. Because of those unpleasant feelings, we want to get away, or we want less. And because of neutral feelings, we just go to sleep. Or we just become indifferent. We don't even notice. This is where we crave for more pleasantness, or uh, what would be anti-craving? Uh, pushing away from. It's also craving. Craving the non- continuing of unpleasantness. This is link number, can't see very good here, link number eight. Because of these pleasant and unpleasant feelings, there will automatically arise wanting more or wanting less, or not uh, being indifferent. Because of wanting, you know, because of wanting, because of that craving, you know, we will go in search for, you know, more food, seconds. You know, you like that curry we had for dinner? <laughs> go get some seconds. And so we take actions in pursuit of securing more pleasurable experience. Or we take actions to get away from unpleasant experience. You know, close the window, uh, walk away, to, you know, get away from that sound. Tell the rooster to go away. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Kamala and I have been com comparing notes. About half of you love that rooster. <laughs> Just love that sound, love that rooster. Some even think he's enlightened. <laughs> and the other half are ready to, uh, you know... What? Yeah, chicken soup. <laughs> Not everything is universally pleasant or unpleasant. <laughs> you know, it can be both pleasant and unpleasant. But nevertheless, however we experience it, we will move towards <laughs> cultivating more of it or cultivating less of it. You see how this, it just goes on automatically. You don't have to do anything. And if you don't do anything, it'll just keep going on. Round and round and round. 
And sure enough, when you act to secure more of pleasantness, you just create another sense of yourself that's reborn into enjoying the soup or, you know, hating that noise or whatever it is. We just perpetuate existence after existence after existence or bubble of thought after bubble of thought after bubble of thought. And we go on like this and have been going on like this endlessly. And we will continue to go on like this endlessly. Is there any ultimate satisfaction in that? Is there any place that you can actually put down that whole burden and come to rest? It's almost as if we're condemned to carry it on, to just keep doing what we have been doing endlessly. This is samsara. This is the suffering of samsara. So we've gone around this circle. We can see it as past life, present life, future life. Or we can see it in a moment. Past moment, present moment, future moment. In every moment, it's happening. Over and over and over again. Creating an existence or a sense of self that exists for a while conditions change and it comes to an end. When that existence comes to an end, and it might be this lifetime, it might be the fantasy you're living in, it can be the thought. When that thought ends, when that fantasy ends, or when this life ends, there's sure to be a sense of loss, emptiness, grief, anxiety, despair, hopelessness, helplessness, suffering. And in a, in, a, in a frantic attempt not to have to feel that, we'll create another one. You know, as Galway Canal says, we'll create paradise elsewhere. If we don't like this one, we'll make another one. The Buddha saw all this. He saw that he had lived innumerable lifetimes doing that that all other beings were confused by illusion, ensnared by craving, and endlessly cycling on. And he said, there's got to be a way to get off of this wheel of existence. There's got to be a way to bring this all to a halt. There has to be a place in this wheel of cyclic existence where we can ease ourselves out. And with his very careful vision, he said, there's one place on this wheel of existence where we can actually break the chain, break the linkage. Do you know where it is? 
There's one link that can be broken. And that's between the feelings of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, and craving. Links 7 and 8. Right there, we can break the chain. If we're not aware, if we're not mindful, if we're not trying to be present, feelings will automatically condition craving. If we are aware, if we're practicing mindfulness, feelings arise, we see them. We're with them. We don't act on them. We don't prefer them, we don't run away from them, we don't grab onto them, we just see them. We just feel them. We let them come to an end without moving on them, without searching for more of the pleasant, without trying to get away from the unpleasant. We just let that feeling die, right there. That's the end. No craving, clinging, actions, birth, death, follow. That's the end. That's the rest. That's the peace right there. Let that moment come to an end. There'll be another moment. I mean, you don't die. There's another moment. But you don't create new existence either. You don't create more karma to have to live out. You let that moment die. And the next moment that arises is another feeling, pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, and you're just present with that one, and you let that die. And you rest in that. And there'll be another feeling come right behind that, and you're aware of that, pleasant, unpleasant or neutral, and you let that die, and you find some peace with that. And in time, that habit of being present with the pleasant, the unpleasant, the neutral, and finding peace in that, not acting it out, not searching for more, not resisting it, not being ignorant of it or deluded by it, confused by it or unaware of it, but just being with it. In time, you can just rest in peace. You just, I don't mean R.I.P., rest in peace, I mean you can live in peace. Live at peace with whatever comes. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. And remain at ease. Not uncomfortable, not unable to be with the emptiness when that feeling leaves. Because when that feeling leaves, there is this tremendous emptiness that just looms all around us. And if we think it's inside of ourselves, we'll try to fill it. We'll try to stuff it with something. Activity, people, food, knowledge, something. But if we see that all of this is happening in emptiness, not we're empty, it's all empty. Things appear in emptiness, things disappear in emptiness. Like the empty sky. Clouds appear, they disappear. 
like the empty mind. Thoughts appear. If we grab onto them, we'll feel that we're, we're someone. And when, when that thought goes, we personally will feel empty and quick have to stuff it again with something. But if we see that it's all happening in the emptiness of the mind, thoughts arise, feelings arise, fantasies arise, futures arise, past arise, hurt arise, joy arise, happiness arise, sensations arise. Do you see how to be free? Do you see how to be free of suffering? You let the moment appear, you are able to be with it, and you let that moment dissolve. And you remain at ease, at peace, or just calmly present with whatever arises next. Fully aware of what's arising, also fully aware of the emptiness in which it is all appearing. This is, the, this is the key to bringing this interminable cycles of existence to an end. Letting the moment die. Right here. Not carrying it on, not resisting it, but just letting it die. And when the time comes to let go of that last moment, then there won't be the conditioning for another existence. You're not grabbing onto it. You're not running away from it. You're just letting it die. It's, it's hard to die. It is really hard to let the moment die. Because it feels like we're dying. It feels like we're just coming to an end. And that's unacceptable for most of us. But that's the practice. Being with experience, letting it come, letting it go. So this is the Buddha's understanding of cyclic existence, karma, how the past conditions the present, the present conditions the future, and how to be free. And this practice that we've undertaken here for this month, we, we've seen, we've seen all this. We've seen it all in our, in our day-to-day, moment-to-moment work. And our whole practice is aimed at breaking that link between feeling pleasant and unpleasant and craving. That's the whole practice. That's, that's all we really have to come to understand. You don't have to understand this. You can let it all go. But all of the practice is aimed at learning how to be with pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings and not creating a sense of yourself to experience it some more, or to get away from it, but to just let it be.
relatively speaking, yes, we're born, we die. But in the moment-to-moment process of it, no one's born and no one dies. Conditions appear and conditions disappear. So, this seminar is over. (laughs) 